Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Today on Focus on the Family, we'll explore the topic of storms, which can change very quickly and unexpectedly. A light rain could transform without warning into a howling gale. It's really damaging, even life-threatening. So your marriage is going to go through storms at some point. The question is, are you ready? Thanks for joining us today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, that's a rather dramatic way of putting it, isn't it? It is, yes, (laughs) but it's true, right? It is true, and uh, marriage at times can be a struggle, and uh, Gene and I have our struggles too. There are people out there, and we'll hear from you, I know, that will say, we've never had an argument. God bless you. That's incredible. (laughs) I think you're in the one percentile. But sometimes marriage, you know, there's uh, speed bumps that come along, and hopefully you're in a place where you can emotionally, spiritually handle those. And today we're going to talk with a great guest on how to kind of prepare your marriage for those storms of life. And let me remind everybody, Focus on the Family is here for you. We want to help you in any way possible. One of the things, John, that a lot of people don't realize is the treasure trove of resources that exist here at Focus. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the golden uh, nugget here at Focus. Get in touch with us. We have counselors. We have great resources, books, and other things, assessments to help you in your marriage journey. Well, that's right. And 45 years worth of material is all just a phone call away. Our number is 800, the letter A, and the word family. Well, our good friend, as you indicated, Jim, and now neighbor, Gary Thomas, is back with us. Uh, He's a prolific speaker and author of more than 20 books. And uh, for 11 years, he was part of the teaching team at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Gary and his wife, Lisa, have recently relocated to Colorado. They serve on the pastoral teaching team at Cherry Hills Community Church in Highlands Ranch. And we're going to hear more today about a book he's written called Making Your Marriage a Fortress, Strengthening Your Marriage to Withstand Life's Storms. We've got details about that book at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Gary, welcome back to Focus on the Family, and welcome to Colorado. Oh, thank you. It's been the most pleasant journey here yet. Less than an hour on a very pleasant ride with very pleasant surroundings. Oh, wait till it snows. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be a five-hour journey. Anyway, hey, let's get into it. You have written some incredible books on marriage. Uh, I would say you're the foremost expert on marriage. I hope your wife, Lisa, is happy. That's the tr- proof Radio of the pudding. Radio didn't see me wince there when you We're going to call her in a minute and make sure. No, it's so true, though, huh? Gene and I always talk about that. It's tough to be in that marriage space where you're the expert, and then you and your wife have an argument, and you're thinking in the back of your mind, wait a minute, this can't be happening to us. Does that happen to you? Uh, well, the what's been a blessing, because people often ask Lisa, what's it like? And she says, what's made it easier for me? She goes, is he really does live out what he writes about, except for one book. And we talked about it. Everybody matters. She thinks I could do a better job eating a little more healthily than I do. But as far as marriage, she seems to give me at least a passing grade. All right. Now you made the rest of us feel better (laughs) when we eat that In-N-Out burger. (laughs) All right. Let's get into it. Explain uh, the idea of storms in a marriage. I get it generally. But, uh, you know, I understand it's related to your experience of surviving that hurricane down in Houston. Well, yeah, it happened in 2017, and I think a lot of people can relate to this. We had been in Houston for seven years at the time, and every time in the fall, you have the signs blinking on the freeway, 
hurricane season is here. Get your prepared kits ready and all of that. And and first few years, we take it seriously. We're from Pacific Northwest. The thought of a hurricane is terrible. After four or five years, you're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. And then 2017, they said this big thing, Hurricane Harvey is coming. And it hit, and it wasn't that big of a deal at first. But then it moved a little inland, camped over Houston, and dropped over 50 inches of rain in three days. It felt like Noah's flood. I mean, it was just like, it just didn't stop. The water keeps coming up and up and up. And that point... We see it coming into the yard, and I'm like, okay, I got to take this seriously. I go in the garage. <laughs> this is so pathetic. All I had was cardboard and blue painter's tape. Oh, great. Which to hold out flood water, <laughs> you know, carry a gallon of water in a paper bag, and you're going to have just as much luck. And I realized, you know, just because the storm didn't come last year or the year before, the year before, the year before, people who are from that area of the country know eventually it is, and you need to be prepared. And I think the same thing is true for marriages, that – yeah, just because it has only happened to your neighbor or you haven't seen it this or that, just the way that life works, even for believers, and sometimes I think especially for believers, the storm is going to hit. And at that point, will your marriage be part of the problem or part of the solution? And that's why you want to prepare. No, and that's a great analogy. And I know that feeling here in Colorado, we get the snow reports and an inch falls when they said 12 inches was right. going to fall. So I totally relate to that. But... Um, you say these storms will reveal one or two truths about a marriage and a couple. What are those? All of these couples, one thing that they had in common, and I was so inspired by their stories, was that they never imagined that they would have to face the depth of pain and struggle that they faced. They were all caught by surprise. But secondly, that God is faithful. And not theoretically. God says he's going to be faithful. In fact, I think there are two verses that have really come true as I've written this book and think about it and I'm speaking on it. Psalm 910 says, Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. There hasn't been a single person who seeks God that God has forsaken. And then Jesus' almost fierce promise, but comforting one, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Every couple found that to be true. Mm. They did face trouble, but when they found, sought refuge in God, they found refuge, a new relationship with God and a new relationship with each other. Yeah, and we're going to cover in more detail. I think one of the great uh, breakdowns in marriage can be those expectations, especially early in marriage, where typically husbands are caught off guard because they didn't know they were supposed to know so many things. Right that she was hoping he would remember to do, or whatever it might be. Speak to that expectation problem, which the earlier a couple can figure that out, I think, the better their marriage is going to be. Yeah. Well, it's not just the expectations we have of our spouse. I think it's the expectations we have of God hmm. and ourselves. I think of one couple, Daryl and Stacy, a, a wonderful, godly couple. Stacy came from a dysfunctional childhood, and so she really wanted a strong guy who would take care of her. Daryl was a weightlifter. He could bench press 400 pounds. Mm. His expectations were, I'm going to be there for my wife physically. I'm going to protect my wife. I'm going to be carrying in the groceries or whatnot. Three years after they were married, they got the diagnosis of MS on the part of Daryl. So really what motivated Stacy to get married, I want a strong man who's going to make me feel secure, who will take care of me, 
would never come true. She had to completely die to those expectations. And Daryl thought his relationship with Stacy would be, you can count on me. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to take care of you. And now he says, decades later, she takes care of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, talking to him even more recently, uh, it's amazing. Stacy said, when I married Daryl, I thought I would just bask in the glow of Bubba. Because he, he was obviously, as a weightlifter, he was a big guy, but charismatic, loved the Lord, great with kids. I mean, a really, really good guy. And today, Stacy says, He's marked by humility like no other guy I know because MS has humbled him. You know, he goes from the walker to the wheelchair to the scooter to the electric, you know. And she goes, every time he responds with more humility. So she thought he would impress people with his strength. God decided he's going to have, no, Daryl, you're going to impress people with your humility, which only would have come through the severe road that they walked together. Well, and the other part of that is how Daryl embraced what, God's journey for him is. I mean, that that's that's the humbling part, that he didn't walk away from the Lord in that respect. He said, thank you, Lord, and let's move on. Yeah. I mean, that's that's amazing. It, it wasn't easy. I love it. He said when he was first diagnosed, because he, he, he was an athlete, he thought of himself that way. He said, I had one two-word prayer, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. And he just kept praying. And, and who wouldn't, you know, in right. your 20s sure. facing this, until God finally said to him, Daryl, I am going to heal you but not of MS, I'm going to use MS to heal other things in your life. And it ended up being the pride. And and here's Mm. where I've just blown away by the wisdom of some of these couples. This is hard-won wisdom. Daryl talked about getting into bed at night. So he gets his chair right up to there. He still has use of his arms somewhat so he can lift his body onto the bed, but he can't get his legs over. And so Stacy has to lift up his legs and move him over onto the bed. And he said to me, Gary, I, I'm tempted sometimes to say, why bother? I'm just going to let Stacy do everything. I'm only doing a little bit. And he goes, but I was really challenged. He says, I, I think I could probably physically only do about 20% of what I used to do. Wow. But I've been convicted by God. I want to do 100% of that 20%. Mm. And, and so often when couples go through challenges, they just give up. Well, if we can't do everything we wanted to do, Let's just go into early retirement. And I was able to use, this has been life changing for me with a a man who went through prostate cancer and had his prostate removed. And I can have real issues and physical intimacy or whatnot. And it'd be so easy to say, well, we can't do everything we used to do. So let's just learn to go without. And I could share Daryl's hard won wisdom. Okay, maybe you can only do 30% of what you used to be able to do, but do 100%. Of that 30%. Don't take away more than life takes away. And maybe it could be a financial calamity, not just health, where we can't afford to do the resorts, we can't afford to go to the Michelin three star restaurants. But don't say then you're never going to go out. Do 100% of what you're able to do. And that's the humility that was carved out of decades of seeing their expectations crushed. Uh, But the surprise they found, not surprise, but God was there in their greatest fears. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. 
At Focus on the Family, we know you want to see your grandchildren follow Christ. Here's how you do that. The Legacy Grandparenting Summit, the only national conference on Christian grandparenting. Coming to over 100 locations on October 20th and 21st. You'll find wisdom, direction, and inspiration from speakers including Anne Graham Lotz and Miles McPherson. Register now for the Legacy Grandparenting Summit at LegacyCoalition.com slash summit. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to hoperestored.com today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Gary, one of the things I like in the way you structured the book is you're pulling on a lot of stories from various yes. couples that people can see their own lives in. And I love that. The next one was uh, Baron and Christie, and he was in the Navy, chaplain in the Navy. He was deployed for three to six months at a time. The classic relationship distance issues Describe what they were dealing with and how they how they sorted that out. Well, he still is, and and Baron is a soldier through and through. He was a Marine before he became a chaplain. He often serves with the special ops guys, which are you'd look at them, you don't know they're in the military, but you know you don't want to go down an alley with them. I mean, these are these well, are they're on your side. I'm okay, <laughs> yes, they're on the side. You have no no truer truer friend, and so it's just just some valuable lessons. And so this is maybe if. If you have a long deployment in the military or maybe you're traveling for business or whatnot, some of the lessons that I thought were very helpful is that they talked about leaving. They didn't talk about reentry. Right. Uh, and, and they just learned. And this is what I love. All the stories of these couples, and this is what I love about marriage by God's design. We have time and commitment to get it right. None of these couples say, oh, we're just unusually wise, unusually connected, unusually mature. They share, yeah, we messed up here, and here's how we messed up. And Christina knew that Baron likes a, a, a clean house and a clean car when, when he comes home, and so she cleaned the car, but she forgot the steering wheel, and the steering wheel was sticky. <laughs> just, well, I did everything but the steering wheel, and Baron says, well, in the Marine Corps, sticky is sticky, and sticky isn't clean. And, um, mm. But this is where you have to talk about it as a couple, because I, I traveled a lot when the kids were younger without Lisa, because she had to be home with the kids. And rather than having the house clean, I just wanted peace and quiet. I'd been in front of groups. I'd been talking to people all day. I just wanted to chill out and have a relational time. But Lisa thinks her love language is cleaning, acts of cleaning. <laughs> Add that one to Gary Chapman's. And, and so when I'd come home, and you know, it's always a rush to get the kids to bed in there. So she's furiously vacuuming and wiping. And I'm like, honey, I don't see the crumbs. I'm not inspecting the floor. I just really want to relax and say hi to you and say hi to the kids. And, and so what, what Baron wanted isn't what, what I want, and it might not be what someone else's wife wants. But what I learned from their experiences, talk about it and then talk about it some more. So often we have these expectations of our spouses but we don't tell them, but we still hold them accountable to it. <laughs> and, and they learn to make it work. Look, we just, what does it mean for you? You've been home with the kids. I'm coming home. 
how do you want the reentry to go for you? And then the wife that, or the husband, whoever's staying home, the other spouse is coming. Okay, what do you want for your reentry? And you might have to juggle it and compromise. A- another major lesson that I found really helpful. Baron talked about one deployment where he was available, but he was meeting with other chaplains. It was a training thing. And so three or four nights, brothers in arms, they're having a great time. They're laughing. And then Christina started to say, hey, Baron, we haven't connected for three or four days. And he said, Gary, I realized I would never go out three evenings in a row if I was home and not be connecting with Christina. So just because I'm on the road, I'm still married and I have to act like a married man on the road. And so they were intentional about, you know what, just because you're on the road or just because you're the one at home, you still need to make time for your spouse. They've learned being in the military that if you aren't intentionally connecting while you're on the road, you learn how to live separate lives, and that is a gateway to divorce. Yeah, those are so many good lessons yeah. in that. I mean, one of the things is create a communication pattern. I try to call Jean at least once during the day when I'm traveling. It's usually two or three times when I have a little break. I probably bug the daylight out of her. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? <laughs> Didn't we just talk an hour ago? I'm not doing much more differently now. But uh, it's just good to stay connected. You, you kind of refer to that, I think, as focused communication. I don't yes. know if that fits the No, it was perfect. Christina really stressed this because she has a friend whose husband is a pilot, and he didn't do that well. She goes, I'm talking to him on the phone, and I can tell I have about 10% of him. He's watching a game. He's watching Sports Center. He's... And so what my conclusion was, look, if you know you only have 10 minutes of solid conversation, give your spouse, your husband or your wife, the full 10 minutes. That's why I like FaceTime, because you can't cheat. <laughs> look, look, look at each other face to face. It's better to say, I'm yours for this amount of time. And then, you know, I, I'm tired and I got to go off. And, and one woman said her, her husband would call her when she was at work and, and she would just be up front. Hey, babe, I've got five minutes before I have to be in this meeting, but I'm all yours for five minutes. And so she would listen and engage. And I think that's where just be intentional when you are communicating and then just admit when you're at the end. For Baron and Christina, high-low was really helpful to set up their conversation. What's the high point? What's the low point? Because by the end of that, he he was pretty tired. I mean, it's a demanding job that he faced. He could see people die. And, and Christina was empathetic to that, that she wanted to be connected in marriage, but also have empathy that my, my spouse is doing a good thing, serving our country and ultimately protecting our family. Let's move to uh, the other couple, another couple, Keith and Roxanne that you mentioned, who brought, uh, as you described it, quite a bit of baggage into the yes. relationship. Yeah. I think, you know, many couples, it may not fit exactly the definition of this couple, but when you bring childhood wounds and things into the marriage boy you have got to deal with that stuff describe what keith and roxanne uh, what they brought into the marriage and how it unfolded well first a a word to wives Um, so often wives think if my husband is cheating or he's looking at porn what could i have done am i not keeping myself up am i not active And, and every husband insisted and and keith was among this there's nothing my wife could have done to stop That's me not from the strength. issue. This is not about her. Yeah. It was entirely about me. In fact, he said, Roxanne was my perfect wife. And because I thought she's a perfect wife, I thought I'm certainly going to lose her when she finds out the real me. And so why don't I just get it over with, act so outrageously that it's huh. like pulling off the Band-Aid and getting it done. But for Roxanne, her father had been unfaithful to her mom. And so she just had these real 
deep wounds and a lot of insecurity that's understandable. Keith grew up in a family where he was not brought in as part of it. He always felt left out. Then he was molested as a young boy. And a, a counselor in Houston that I often go to for these issues told me, Gary, whenever a client comes to me and says that this happened to him as a young boy, he goes, I wait for the dominoes to fall. He goes, he's not excusing it. He goes, right. but it's such a deep wound. And so when you have that kind of baggage where there was just no connection relationally with your family, all of this happened before he met Roxanne, before he married Roxanne. Roxanne had nothing to do with it. Because he didn't deal with that baggage, marriage, I've found as a pastor, gives guys about a nine to 12 month pause. In the freshness of marriage, a lot of those old things go away. But eventually, if they're not dealt with, they're going to come back. And so it's about getting strong so that you can be strong in your marriage. Roxanne couldn't cure or help or heal Keith. He needed a professional. She's not a PhD counselor. And so it's just... What I say is if you have some hurts, maybe kids laughed at you or bullied you a little bit, maybe you're fine to to talk with a pastor and, and receive spiritual care. But when you have the level of hurt that Keith had, and I think that Roxanne had, you need a professional. You know, well, I can brush my teeth. I can't give myself a root canal. Right. So and It's if, really fair. We often demean that in the Christian community because we think, well, really, all you need is God. And of course that's true. If the Lord can wipe that slate clean, that's wonderful. That's not typically what happens. Going all the way back to your first story, God puts us on journeys to learn things about ourselves and about the world around us. So I, I love that encouragement to get, get good Christian counseling, I would say. So I think with couples, when you're, when you're looking at your childhood hurts, instead of just saying, oh, it makes me so angry when he does this, or I, when she disrespects me, like, I, I want to say, why does this make you angry? Yeah. Why does this make you feel so disrespected? Why are you so sensitive to this or that? It may not, it might be what your spouse is doing, but it might not be. It might be what your dad did, what your mom did, what your siblings did. It's just recognizing that we bring a lot of baggage into our marriage and, and I don't want my wife to have to carry it. That's where I yeah. need to go get help and say, can you unload this so I'm not just dumping it on my spouse. You know, and so often, Gary, temperament plays into this, and it could be either the husband or the wife. Either one can be very pro-counseling, the other yeah. one not so much, because for some, it marks failure, that I'm not measuring up, uh, all those performance issues. It's not about that. No. It's about getting healthy, and so I just want to encourage people to remember that and try to break loose of that to make your marriage all that it can be. Right at the end here, the impact of isolation in a marriage, wow. and it fits with this story, I yeah. think, but the um, the isolation in a marriage can really wreak havoc on that relationship, both in a male expression of that, because we as men tend to pull in and and go the way of the little boy. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want her harping on us. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix that in me. So we just pull in yeah. and we go news, weather, and sports, right? Right. And then for wives, I mean, they find it in, I think, in other activity, girlfriend activity. They get distracted and you end up isolated. Speak to the verse in Proverbs that you mentioned in the book about the the downside of isolation yeah. you may it, to me it feels like it's a medication but it's medicating in the wrong way absolutely proverbs 18 1 says whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire he breaks out 
against all sound judgment. Keith felt like his downfall into affairs was fueled largely by isolation. He didn't deal with feeling isolated from his family of origin, and so he felt the same thing in his marriage, and always thought he had to look outside of his family to do it. And I think isolation is sort of like, well, it's, let me give a plug for focus on, it's like focus on the family. Publishers say they want books that are Tylenol, not vitamins. And what they mean by that is if you have a headache, I need this. Vitamins are supplements for long-term health and they don't seem as urgent. I bet when people are going through an affair or a kid is rebelling or things are crazy, they're listening to 10 Focus on the Family episodes. Well, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) But, But this is why you need the supplements as well because if you wait until the crisis hits before you try to gain the wisdom or before you're part of a church group, they wouldn't have had anybody to call. When things are going well, you don't think you need church. It's like an obligation. Well, we should go. It's Sunday. But if you know the storms are going to come, you're going to say, we need to be a part of a church. The day will come when we need them. And the day is here when somebody needs us. And it was a real lesson. And I think if you look at scripture reading, prayer, Bible study, listening to focus, those are just wise things taking your vitamins to gradually become stronger as a person and as a couple, if you know the storm will hit, and it will, get the wisdom now so that you can draw from it. Not be like me with cardboard and blue painter's tape trying to hold back (laughs) floodwaters, which is worthless. I just didn't have the resources. I didn't gather them ahead of time, and that was foolish. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And what you're saying is on the sunny day, get the sandbags ready Yeah, because you're going to need them (laughs) tomorrow. Absolutely. But Gary, this has been so good. And again, I just respect the the depth in which you write on this topic of marriage. And every book that you've done on marriage is just a powerhouse. And it's so full of wisdom for couples. And this one hits the mark once again. And I just hope people will respond. Uh, Even if you're in a healthy place with your marriage, it'll be healthier. And maybe you know people in your church or family members that need a copy of this great resource that Gary has written. Get in touch with us like we normally say. Uh, If you can donate to the ministry, if you could become a monthly sustainer here at Focus, that'd be great. One-time gift is good too. And we'll send you a copy of the book as our way of saying thank you. And if you're in a tough spot, we get it. We want to get the resource into your hands. So just let us know and we'll give you the book. Uh, Also, um, uh, just to highlight one of those areas that we can help you with, Hope Restored is our marriage intensive. Mm -hmm. It is a terrific program. These are broken marriages. Uh, Many of them have already signed divorce papers, and the data is really strong. Uh, We go back to these couples two years after they've been involved in the four-day intensive, and over 80% Mm -hmm. are doing well and still married. So if you're in that spot and you're desperate and you don't know what to do, give us a call and let's take a look at whether Hope Restored is something uh, that is good for you. And other than that, man, pray for us. Pray for the marriages in this country. When you're looking at what's the core problem with most of what we're dealing with in this country, it's the breakdown of marriage. Yeah, we have so much here after 45 years uh, of ministry that God has allowed us to offer to you. We're a phone call away. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, uh, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Gary, we'll come back next time and continue the talk. Looking forward to it. And we hope you'll join us next time. On behalf of Jim and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, and we'll see you next time as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.
listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Praying with the kids at bedtime in the comfort of your home. This warm setting is featured in the new special edition print from Focus on the Family titled What Matters Most. It's a story in paint by artist Morgan Weisling, a giclée depicting a faithful pioneer family, and it can have a special place in your home to remind you of what's truly important. Get this special edition print at focusonthefamily.com slash specialprint. That's focusonthefamily.com slash specialprint. Three years after they were married, they got the diagnosis of MS on the part of Daryl. So really what motivated Stacy to get married, I want a strong man who's going to make me feel secure, who will take care of me, would never come true. She had to completely die to those expectations. And Daryl thought his relationship with Stacy would be, you can count on me, I'm going to be there for you, I'm going to take care of you. And now he says, decades later, she takes care of me. That's Gary Thomas describing some of the common storms that husbands and wives may face in marriage. Uh, but there's good news. God is always present with you in those storms. And with his help, you can end up with a stronger, more intimate relationship afterwards. Gary is back with us today on Focus on the Family. And your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, we had a great conversation with Gary last time. And you know what's frustrating with Gary is always saying something that I, I got to do differently. <laughs> <laughs> that's frustrating. And he's full of wisdom. Huh. I mean, yeah. he gives me those ideas. Okay, that's something I need to embrace and mm-hmm. do differently. And you are going to walk away with so many gold nuggets. Uh, just stick with us. Gary is one of the foremost writers in this area of marriage. He's a pastor. John will give all those details in a moment. But I just love when Gary comes on and shares his wisdom that the Lord's given him. Uh, I'm reminded of that parable from Matthew 7 about building your house upon a foundation of rock and not sand. And when the storms of life come along, which is the theme of Gary's book, we have got to build that relationship, our marital relationship, on that rock. Mm. And that rock is the Lord. And we're going to talk about that today. Right. And as you mentioned, Gary uh, was part of the teaching team at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas for 11 years. He and his wife, Lisa, recently moved to Colorado, where he serves on the pastoral teaching team at Cherry Hills Community Church in Highlands Ranch. Uh, Gary has written uh, over 20 books. He's a prolific speaker. He's a longtime Uh, and favorite guest here at Focus on the Family, and uh, a book that really is the foundation for our conversation. Uh, And this is part two. If you didn't hear part one, uh, stop by the website to hear it or watch it. Uh, The book is called Making Your Marriage a Fortress. And of course, we have copies of that book here at the ministry. Just give us a call, 800, the letter A, and the word family. Or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Gary, welcome back. Thank you. (laughs) It's so good to have you. Um, okay, last time we started with that uh, parable or that theme of the hurricane in Houston that you didn't prepare for. You had blue duct tape and cardboard. <laughs> didn't work too well. So my storm story, we can relate to marriage. So I, in August, I buy a snowblower when we bought our house here in Colorado. I thought, I'm ahead of the curve. In fact, the guy at the store said, you're really in thinking August. outside the box. Yes. It's August, you know. <laughs> so I got it. I put the oil in it, put the gas in it, started up. It ran great. I shoved it into the corner of the garage. The first snowstorm here came two feet in October. Mm. I went and pulled that thing out, went to start it, and the engine had seized. After running just like for three minutes. 
So then I got stuck. I couldn't buy a snowblower. We you couldn't get out of your big storms, way. and yeah. they were sold out. And I thought all that preparation, and it still went down. So how's that relate to marriage? <laughs> <laughs> well, there there are three building blocks. I relied somewhat on the research of Dr. Archibald Hart and Dr. Sharon May, which is fun because it's a father daughter team. Yeah, who she's wrote their great. Book Dr. Hart has gone on to glory. Uh, Dr. May is still writing and, and teaching, but they talk about the three building blocks of emotional connection. And that's where you don't want your snowblower to have <laughs> the immediate. And the three things they talked about were trust, which is so key. And it's not just issues of betrayal that you're not going to be unfaithful to me. It's if you say you're going to pick up the bread, pick up the bread. If you're going to be there for your kid's event, be there for your kid's event, that trust is so key to intimacy. Mm. Uh, betrayal is to a marriage what dynamite is to a door. I mean, it just blows it apart. And we too often think of betrayal just in the terms of, you know, sexual unfaithfulness, but we need to build trust in, in other areas. The second thing was emotional availability. And this can be tougher for guys. It's just that I'm making myself available for my wife. I'm letting her explore. I'm, I'm exploring. I, I'm being there so that I can be present with her in her issues and she can be present in mine and then sensitive responsiveness and i this was helpful for me because so often as a guy our wife says something that's hurting her and our first thing is okay i'm gonna fix that i can take care of that you're not gonna have to mm -hmm. deal with that and what they really want to know right now is that there's a sensitive response you want to fix it because you don't want to have to live through this with me that the process matters so much to our wives and so if you lose trust and emotional availability and sensitive responsiveness, you're on your road to getting further and further and further apart. But those are also three tools that couples can use to begin to rebuild their marriages. Uh, give an example where a wife had to be sensitively responsible. She was the one in the book I, I talked about where she had had an affair. Her husband was really grilling her one night. He was trying to catch her like a detective. Well, you said you went there and you said he called you there. And, that, and how could those both be true? And so he asked her again. And she said, David, you've asked me that question a hundred times. And I'll give you an answer a hundred times. I'm so sorry for what happened. And I understand why you're doing it. it was so, she wasn't being defensive. She was almost saying, I, I get why you're suspicious. It makes sense. And so I'm going to be sensitively responsible where it doesn't go well. And I, I see guys do this more than women. They'll confess and say, well, when are you going to get over it? Hmm. Maybe never. Right. <laughs> that's not, that's not a sensitive response. It's understanding. I put this fear in you. I put this hurt in you. I put this suspicion in you. I get it. It's, it's on me, not on you. I'm not asking you to get over it. I'm willing to bear it. Well, and I think in mm. part, and you're going right to what I would describe as some of the extremes in the marriage uh, storm, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But you also speak in the book, you write in the book about the, the mundane things that create breaches, right? Uh, I thought one of the interesting ones, and I experienced this, Gene and I did this when our kids, our boys were little. I remember coming home from work. I had a long day. And I was exhausted. I mean, I literally got one foot in the door. Gene was at the door with Trent and Troy, one in each arm. <laughs> and my one foot is in the door. And she goes, you got to take the kids. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done for the day. Take the kids. And I'm like, I put the briefcase down. I throw my jacket on the ground. Uh, okay. 
I took the boys and took them to the basement and played with them. And But it was hard because I, I was saying to Gene later, I said, man, I just need like five minutes. Just let me change my clothes, put a T-shirt on and some shorts, and then I'll do whatever we need to do with the kids. But it was like, it was hard. And that is a little bit of drift that you talk about too. And so I'd ask you a, kind of a more simple question in that regard, like the young couple that has one, two, three-year-old children and the drift that can create, the separation that can create if they don't notice the storm warnings of what they're entering. And it's a great point, Jim, because so often we think of storms as bad things happening. A storm can be a good thing that happens, like bringing a new baby into the house. A great thing, but disruptive. Right. My friend, Dr. Les Parrott, has a great line. When a new baby is born, a new marriage is born. Hmm. Even if it's the second or third baby. Well, it's a different family. It is. It's not the same family. And and I've, couples have told me before the baby comes, I says, what are you going to take out? And they go, what do you mean? Well, do you think God gives you 30 hours more a week? Here's a baby. Here's 30 hours. I go, <laughs> and, and the couples that made it, Jim, we're talking about John and Deborah here from the book and others where um, their kids were older, but during COVID, he had to double down. He was a pastor and launch online services. They were ruthless in cutting out what they could, and they were intentional, I mean, industriously so, in saying, we're going to come out of this closer together. And I think every time a couple brings home a new baby, there should be this pledge, and I think spoken out loud, our first goal is that 18 years from now, we're closer because we brought this baby home, not further apart. Wow. It's the best thing for the baby. It's the best thing for the marriage. It's the best thing for the legacy that they would leave behind. But they made tough choices in the case of John. Now, he's an eye surgeon, but he talked about what they do for their Sunday night check-ins. And you talk about emotionally available. He wasn't the first year. He was going through residency. He said, Gary, every picture of me that first year, I'm laying on the couch asleep with the baby on top of me Mm -hmm. because I was so tired. And they realized, okay, this can't go on. This can't happen with baby number two. He now works three days a week. And he works five minutes from home so he can come home from lunch. And you might say, would you make that sacrifice? He goes, yeah, I drive an older car. He goes, but if you could have the relationship with your wife that I have, he wasn't speaking to me directly, but, you know, generally he goes, it's an unmatchable connection. I, I like the life of intimacy that we share, the fun we have, the joy and connected. I would rather be this connected to my wife with maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars less in the bank than have money that I may never spend and feel like we don't know each other and being frustrated with each other all the time. And uh, another huge help for couples that were facing busyness, whether it was bringing a new child home or a new work challenge. And I didn't lead anybody. This just came up three different times with the importance of check-ins. Mm-hmm. If we're not intentional about connecting with each other, it's not going to happen. In fact, the couple I called the relationally industrious couple have three different kinds of check-ins. They have their date nights, which is just about fun. Then they have their business nights, which might be, who's going to pay this? We need to get this fixed in the house. Or it might be, I was hurt when you did that. You feel like you've been distracted. And then they have their daily check-ins and that's just five or 10 minutes. And here's how they thought through it, Jim. They said, if we don't do the other two meetings, the date night gets sabotaged. We want to deal with our business on date night instead of have fun. We want to air our grievances. And this is about time that we enjoy together. 
and the morning check-ins, he found, we, we just want to know what's happening with each other's day. And he found out, this was Randy, that Hannah does better when she's caffeinated. So <laughs> he, he gives her the coffee. Not everybody will react that way. <laughs> he, gives her, he comes back in, and it might just be five to, okay, what do you got going? How can I pray for you? What's going on? Uh, and they do it. And, and here's what I thought was just a beautiful truth that came out of it. Hannah says, you know, we even occasionally do marriage seminars. And everybody says, you guys are so lucky. You're such a good match. You found each other. And she said, Gary, luck has nothing to do with it. We didn't find this marriage. We created it and we work hard to keep it. Mm. She goes, we can be distant easily. And they've learned the hard way that when they didn't do the, the three different ones, they had a date night. They live in, in British Columbia. Beautiful sunset. I mean, it was just a gorgeous summer evening paddle boarding and they wrecked it because they had one of their worst arguments ever <laughs> and these friends came by in a boat and said oh this is such a romantic evening isn't it and they're like this has nothing to do with romance <laughs> but i i love that because younger couples often think okay you find the right person and you reap a great marriage these couples discovered you have to be intentional. And check-ins were just a wonderful tool. For John and Deborah, it was Sunday evenings, two to three hours. That was their time. It was inviolate. The kids could not come into their room. They would not um, schedule anything. Hmm. And I, I'm just saying, I see the seeds that they planted, and I see the crops that they have reaped, and uh, I think that kind of intentionality pays off big time. Yeah. Let me, you mentioned money there, and I want to come back to that because here at Focus, that's one of the reasons many, many couples oh, will yeah. contact us because money mm -hmm. creates such friction in the marriage. Um, and you use the illustration of the doctor who decided to work three days a week, drive an older car, those kinds of things. Those are all good decisions. But speak to, uh, you know, how finances can create such a, I guess, storm a hurricane yeah. in the marriage and what can couples do practically to get their hands around those issues, that issue of finance? Well, I featured two different couples, one that were buried in debt to where they owed more than they earned in a year. And that was a wake up call. And another couple that was very poor when they got married, then very wealthy, and then they lost it all. And they've been dealing with that for a decade and a half. So they don't have that happy ending. Well, you start tithing and miraculous things happen. That happened to one couple, not to the other one. The two key lessons I got from this on finances were this. Communication is so important. In both cases, one spouse didn't communicate to the other just how bad it was. Right. With, with one couple, the wife was an accountant, and her husband thought, well, she's an accountant. She knows what's going but she just, she just didn't share that they were going a little bit more into debt, a little bit more. And so they said, okay, let's figure this out. And when they found out they were more in debt than they earned in a year, he was just angry that she let him get into this situation. Both of the couples mentioned that communication is so key. Even if you're in a family where one person primarily handles the finances, in my marriage, that's my wife. Uh, we still have to have these quarterly meetings where I know uh, this is where our investments are. This is where we're given. This is where we're settled. We don't have debts other than a house right now. So that's not an ongoing issue. But uh, I, I do think if you don't want finances to pull you apart, there's got to be great communication. The second issue was the anger that resulted from that uh -huh. and learning how to deal with it. And I found one verse that I think a lot of couples take too literally in a way that hurts their marriage. And that's that verse, do not let the sun go down while you're mm -hmm. angry and do not give the devil a foothold. 
And so they think they have to keep working this out <laughs> before they go to sleep. And that's what happened with Randy and Hannah. They're going around and around and around. Well, we don't let the sun go down on your anger. And it only got worse. It took Randy three days to come to grips with his anger and frustration before they could deal with it productively. Mm. And I think when you look at that scripture, there, there are three statements, not one. There's, in your anger, do not sin. That's one. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. That's two. And do not give the devil a foothold. We pull that second phrase, don't let the sun go down while you're angry, out of context and make that the whole message. But Paul's directly quoting wisdom literature, which most people know they're not laws. It's just general wisdom. And in the Old Testament times, that was don't delay paying somebody because at that point, if you did, they might go home hungry. If you've taken somebody's coat, return it by midnight so that they're not cold through the night. It was just a way, this is in Ephesians, and it was largely a Jewish, had a large Jewish community. Paul's just using language from scripture they would understand. But what he's really saying is, in your anger, do not sin and don't give the devil a foothold. The, the don't go to sleep, I think, is a legalistic application. My, my suggestion is get a good night's sleep, wake up, have a bagel, a cup of coffee, <laughs> process it, maybe talk to God, and then come together. I don't think you're disobeying that verse. I think you're saying, okay, I don't want to sin in my anger, and I don't want to give the devil a foothold. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. I was convinced that nothing could change what was going on in our marriage, and I didn't want to try anymore. But my commitment to God helped me try one more time. We went to a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, and it was life-changing. The counselors created the safest environment we could imagine, so that let us really talk. We're on a much different course now, and I believe we received a miracle that week. Receive your free consultation at HopeRestored.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Gary, I, I'm circling like a buzzard coming back to <laughs> oh. some of the themes that you're mentioning, but... Um, one of the things you said that caught my attention was that busyness can be the sucker punch of a marriage. And I, I think I get that. And you're, you, you know, you're pecking around all of that, but, but describe how we need to be aware of the sucker punch. Well, the, the destruction of a sucker punch is that you don't see it coming. Most of us see sickness as a serious assault on our marriage. When you get a diagnosis, you have MS, you have cancer, you have Alzheimer's. Okay, th this is something that we have to face head on. Uh, when a child is born with a disability, okay, we have to face this head on. Busyness is more by degrees. It's like gaining weight. You gain a quarter pound every two weeks, which means you gain half a pound in a month, which means you gain six pounds in a year and 12 pounds. And, you know, it's just this gradual thing. Where How you did you know that's what happened to me? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but, but it's not that much, right? You think a quarter. And, and I think with marriages, you can experience that distance where you don't know more. And so I would just ask couples today listening, if you're in your kitchen, you're in your living room, you're driving down the road. Do you know your spouse's greatest temptation right now? Do you know their greatest frustration at work? Do you know the greatest fear they have for their children? Do you know the greatest hurt from their childhood that they're trying to deal with that keeps coming back 
and really challenges how they view themselves? Do you know their best way of connecting with God? Do they feel far from God? So often we just assume that we know our spouses and that we're walking this life together. Those are basic things that we often just never get around. And it's just because we're just too busy. It's a sucker punch. We don't see it coming until all of a sudden we're knocked out and say, how did that happen? And, and you see it, Jim, how many times have you heard this? I love him. I'm just not in love with him anymore. Right. And more often than not, that's just busyness. You haven't worked on the marriage. You've slowly grown apart, so you can't even see your way back. There is a way back, but it doesn't feel like it at the time. Yeah. Um, Gary, let me ask you, uh, in your book, Making Your Marriage a Fortress, you describe a couple who lost their 19-year-old son. Mm -hmm. My brother and his wife had that experience with their 30-year-old son. Mm -hmm. I asked him one day, I just said, you know, how often do you think of Bobby? He said, Jim, every day I think of Bobby. That probably brings tears to my eyes even thinking about it now because I don't know that there's any greater loss than the loss of a child. I don't think there is. And when it's the loss of an only child, Hmm. uh, because it's not just your current loss, Jim, it's the future losses. Uh, What they found is that the second year was more painful than the first. The first year they're numb, but the second year, okay, every Christmas now, we don't have Garrett with us. Garrett's friends graduate from college. They get jobs. Well, we we don't have that. His friends get married. We're never going to have a daughter-in-law. They have kids. We're never going to have grandchildren. It's an ongoing loss. It's not like a one-time hurt. It's the hurt that keeps on hurting. What they found that kept them through was the... They had been serious students of Scripture, And it was so helpful. We talked earlier about whether you view Bible reading as Tylenol or vitamins. So often we go to the Bible if we need Tylenol. We've got a headache. We've got a hurt. Okay, what will solve it? Vitamins is a wiser approach because you need to draw upon it. And Janelle said something to me that blew me away. That This is faith in action as they're sharing freely about the devastation of losing this beloved son, a really good kid. Uh, But Janelle said to me, Gary, God didn't just call Garrett from us. He called Garrett to something. Mm -hmm. And applying the scripture to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. She goes, I know today Garrett is perfectly serving the God who created him. She goes, my friends, they have issues sometimes with daughters-in-law or there's alcoholism or work problems or depression or whatnot. She goes, Garrett has none of that. He's doing exactly what God created him to do. And Jim, the the faith and the excitement, he's just perfectly serving God in a way that my friend's kids aren't yet because they're still here in a fallen situation. And I, I, I was blessed by a woman for whom scripture became real. She needed it to be real. And she found scripture to be true. And it was a refuge and it was balm in the midst of her tremendous hurt. Um, another big help for them was just the community. Um, she mentions grabbing the lapels of one of her best friends the morning she found out. She said, 70% of marriages end up in a divorce when this happens. Please don't let me lose my husband. I've lost my son. I don't want to lose my husband. And this church just wrapped their arms around her. She was getting five or six texts every day. After the first year, uh, Joe's friends kind of dropped off. And so at 18 months is when he kind of broke. 
and it was interesting because Janelle said for the first year, it was 95 Joe and 5% me. Joe was the strong one. He was holding me up. The second year, she says, it became 75% me and 25% Joe. It just, he was devastated. And what was so devastating to her, every time he saw Janelle's face, he was reminded of Garrett. Garrett looked so much like Uh, her. So he wants to love his wife. And yet, just the grief that he's reminded of his son. And so they had one of the biggest arguments of their marriage about 18 months after Garrett had died. And Joe stormed off and Janelle just got on the phone and she called his friends. Y'all got to go get him. I don't know what's going to happen, but he doesn't need to be alone right now. And they did. And that's why I say to people listening, church does matter. God doesn't want us to walk through this life alone. It's not just husband and wife. It's husband and wife and church. Uh, Because right now people need you if you're not going through a storm. But the day will come. I, I... Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. If you believe Jesus, the day will come when you need those church members to wrap their arms around you, and it's too late if you wait for it. So keep listening to Focus on the Family. Get the daily vitamins. Grow in Scripture so that you can draw that powerful truth when you need it. Have those relationships so that you can stay together. What Joe and Janelle have today uh, is so precious. It's buried 70% of couples who have faced it. It's given them a 100% increase in their love for each other. Man, this has been terrific, Gary. Thanks so much for spending the time with us on day two. <laughs> and as John said, if you missed day one, go back and get it. But the uh, the basic premise here is Gary's poured his heart into this book, uh, Making Your Marriage a Fortress. And there's so many nuggets of truth in here. You need to get a copy, and we'd love it if you uh, would participate in ministry with us. Get the book directly from Focus. Become a monthly supporter. We'll send it as our way of saying thank you. If you can't do that, we get it. One-time gift is another great way to do ministry with Focus on the Family. Help more marriages. And I'm telling you, John, I've said this a lot. The breakdown of marriage is, I believe, the core problem in the culture. Mm. I don't care what color your skin is or any of that. Marriage is a significant problem in the culture today, and and kids are struggling. You talk about fighting poverty, we need to keep marriages together. And uh, Gary has devoted his life to that, and it's worth reading. So get a hold of us and get a copy today. Yeah, Jim, and in fact, uh, friends like our listeners who donate have equipped Focus to help more than 50,000 couples make really significant progress in their marriage through difficulty. So, Just please, this past year. Yes, that's, that's an ongoing number. So your dollars are invested wisely and have ongoing impact. Donate today as you can. Be generous on a monthly basis if you're in that spot, as Jim noted, or uh, make a one-time contribution. Our number is 800, the letter A, and the word family. 800-232-6459 or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Gary, again, thanks so much for uh, traveling all the way down from Denver to be with <laughs> us. And it's great to have you in the state of Colorado, but good to see you again. You guys have become good friends and I'm so grateful to God for both of you. Oh, thank you. And thank you for joining us today for Focus on the Family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, I'm John Fuller inviting you back next time as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.